this month on the Voices of Experience podcast. How much do hotels really know about their guests before they arrive? And what can they do with that information? So we can surprise and delight a guest with something knowing where they're from or what their favorite wine is. You never know what's going to come out of that. That's Lee Hitz, a Daniels alumna and highly regarded hotel leader for nearly three decades at Stout Street Hospitality. As one of the first women executives in the industry, Hitz has seen and managed it all, from the heart of the house to the penthouse. And she's now passing on the lessons from that extensive experience to the next generation of hospitality leaders at Daniels and beyond. If you have a good culture within your building and it is led and taught and mentored, your rate of success for low turnover is much better. She joined the show to talk about her ample executive experience, the changing tides in the hospitality industry stemming from the pandemic, and what true leadership looks like in a hotel. Lee, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you. You are a Colorado native that grew up in Aspen, which we all know is a tourist hub with numerous world-class hotels. How do you think that influenced your career path? Well, it was a great place to grow up. So we moved up there in 1967. And um, as most resorts, all the kids uh, really participated in a lot of sports. And so my basketball coach, who was also my business teacher, (laughs) he says, what do you want to do? And I said, well, we can work in restaurants, hotels, or be a ski instructor. And uh, so I chose hotels, and he got me connected into the community for the first time. So we started a program way back in the, gosh, so I graduated in 1980. So in the early 70s, where we were able to work and do internships and things at hotels. And so that program still exists up there. So that's how I got into it. So I was a great coach and a mentor and loved every facet of it. Great. No regrets on passing on being a ski instructor? I was a ski racer and uh, (laughs) had to give that up when you got into high school so you could do sports. It was one or the other, Mm -hmm. but my knees show for it. So I think I made the right choice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, As we mentioned in the intro, you spent more than 25 years at Stout Street Hospitality, stepping down as president and CEO in 2016. How did you see the hospitality industry change over that time? Oh my gosh. So, um, it changed substantially. So I would say the biggest thing that changed over time has been the world of IT and the world of sales marketing. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our day-to-day business hasn't changed, but the way that you sell digitally to customers, how guests see you, how they find you, how they book a room is so different Mm -hmm. than it was back even 25, 35 years ago. Sure. And then the world of IT um, is changing still daily. Uh-huh. So you have so many systems in a hotel or a restaurant, they all have to connect. Well, there's a new platform, so that's the greatest, newest platform. Well, that's great, but it doesn't work with our operating system. And so the world of IT has really complicated, I would say, the operations. And you really have to be pretty experienced or have surround yourself with that experience. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that, I have to imagine, is there's more data available Mm -hmm. than ever before. I have to imagine there are some positive impacts. Absolutely. I mean, you can... You want to know anything and everything about your guests yeah. and where they're coming, what their preferences are, and that is to our advantage. Mm-hmm. So we can surprise and delight a guest with something knowing where they're from or what their favorite wine is. You never know what's going to come out of that. 
in the past, was it just a shot in the dark? You had the it name. It was. And the <laughs> we had the name and we said, welcome, Nick. Yeah. Where are you from? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do? And it was all, you know, at the front desk. Mm-hmm. And so now a lot is behind the scenes. And then depending on how good of an operator are you are, you know what is who's coming to your hotel, where they're coming from, and what their preferences are. Really so it's night and day. And I have to imagine if they've been there before, right? You know, if Correct. they're repeat, if they're brand new. Correct. And you can hopefully your front desk understands that and looks and your sales team has highlighted, hey, Nick's been here 14 times and he eats at six o'clock every yeah. night and he has a hamburger. <laughs> and so we know that stuff. Oh, interesting. Interesting. We touched on it a bit earlier, but sort of the the current state of the business, the future state of the business. Uh, and I want to call attention to something you said in a 2015 interview with the Dallas Business Journal. That's Uh, a long time ago. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We'll link to that in our show notes if anyone wants to to reference it as well. But uh, you mentioned that you built relationships with local businesses as a way of attracting guests to your hotels and that you also offered all-inclusive amenities. Is that still a winning strategy almost a decade later for the hospitality industry? Well, Twofold. Yes, I'm building relationships because the folks that refer you uh, to their clients to stay with you are local people, right? So it's whatever accounting firms in town, law firms in town. Dallas had a huge AT&T presence. Sure. So, yes, I even went down and got to know the 25 secretaries that book rooms with you. There you go. What do they need? What do their guests need? So that will never change. We're a relationship-based business. The all-inclusive side of things, that was way back when we started, um, when I started with Doubletree back in the mid-80s. So that evolved, and I would say today you don't see much of that anymore Mm. in the urban settings. Probably down in Cancun you do, right? (laughs) but not in our urban settings. So we're really focused now more on what we talked about earlier, Nick. What are the guest preferences? What do you want? How can we surprise and delight you? with a special treat when you come to a hotel or during your stay. I think that's more where we are from a service level, and it's really getting to know your customer more than saying, hey, we have free happy hour for you tonight. Sure. Right. Does that get down to knowing if they're there for business or mm-hmm. personal? I have to imagine that's all baked in, right? All baked in. And, you know, I, I'd love to say today, even to our operators, we have a seven-day business, right? We're open 24, seven days. But it's a different clientele, Monday through Thursday and Thursday to Sunday. So you have a two-headed unicorn, if you will. And so you have to change, adapt. You might have different employees on the weekend that you don't have during the week. And Mm -hmm. so there's a lot that goes into building the culture of that hotel. So you relate to those customers. The other part of of spending 25 years at Stout Street is, is I'm sure you grew personally. Uh, how did you grow as a business executive in your two and a half decades there? Yeah, I think the biggest thing I learned, so um, I was a general manager first, and then that became development, and it was a small family-owned business. Mm-hmm. So I worked very closely with our owner who had a construction background. And the day I retired, we still shared an office, and he retired with me. Um, so wonderful family. And I think the biggest thing I learned over time as I became the CEO and the president of the company is how to really mentor and coach the executives on your team. So one, you surround yourself with people better than you and they have better skill set, but they still need to be mentored. They need to be coached. 
And I think over time, that was the biggest thing I learned. And the majority of my 15, 20 executives were there for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And we still see each other. So great group of people. And we had just a, we knew exactly what everybody was doing, when they're doing it, what free time they needed. And I think the other thing is I knew everything personally about them. So if they're about to have a baby or they're about to get married or they lost a loved one, we knew it. And so we were a very supportive group. And I think that is so valuable today in any business you're in, any company you're in. So I would say coaching and mentoring that level because then it obviously gets to the properties and it gets sure. to the general managers. It gets to everybody else because we're interacting with them so much. How do you learn how to become a better leader uh, for your staff? Is it an on-the-job type of thing? Well, sure. It's on the job, but you also have to be open to criticism and you have to be open to new ways. You have to be, um, you have to read, mm -hmm. you have to educate yourself, you have to stay up to, you know, what's happening, what's relevant today. And you're also mentoring and coaching a whole next generation, if not two more generations, and what, what's important to them. And so I think it, it's really challenging, but I think it's what we all like and thrive on so much because you still ultimately want to win in the end, whatever sure. that looks like as for your company. And for me, it was really people. It was the culture of the business to me that was most valuable. Interesting. And as we look forward, how do hotels differentiate themselves? That's a good question. So I work for a great company now, a very innovative company, and it's still renovating old historic buildings. So it's exactly what I used to do. Um, and we are always, I was just looking at a report, a group went and looked at a whole bunch of hotels similar to what we're going to build. And it was like, what are customers looking for today? Is it just design? Is it the amenities? Is it easy things in your room? It was funny, we we're looking at this great upscale hotel in New Orleans, and they had a shelf over the roll of the toilet paper in the bathroom. <laughs> so I'm like, ah, so you don't drop your phone or you could work on your laptop. <laughs> so, and what's the, you know, what's the products in a mini bar? Are they local? Mm -hmm. Is that more important to a traveler than your normal brand? So I think today a lot of um, design elements are geared to what we anticipate what a guest wants, not just today, but in a couple years to come. I don't think we can predict 10 years down the road, but I think we can predict within a couple years. Great. Uh, you mentioned the company you work for now. Would you share a little with our listeners who that is and, and what your role is? Sure. We've been at uh, University of Denver a couple times speaking, and it's called Nuovo. And uh, we are a real estate-focused company with an impact-driven message. So we are very... Um, geared and focused on how we can create create impact within the communities we go to, including all of our employees, so not just in the four walls. And it's also in cities that are up and coming that uh, we can make a difference in. So my role is I oversee the operations and the management companies that actually manage our hotels. And then um, I do, just by default, also assist in construction and getting the <laughs> hotels open because I've done so much of that. Great. Yeah. We'll be sure to link to that in our show notes. So anyone listening who wants to check that out, uh, head over there after this. Uh, I want to talk about a milestone in your career. You helped to rebrand the Mayfair Hotel in St. Louis in 2014 uh, at the time to reflect the company's expansion goals. 
How did you approach that process and ultimately choose the hotel's name to reflect these goals? Sure. So it was originally called the Mayfair, very old hotel, and it was very run down. So our goal was to reposition it and make it a Magnolia. So we had the Magnolia brand already going among several hotels in Texas, Denver, uh, at that time, probably Omaha. So we just added it to the brand of Magnolias, Mm -hmm. but we actually closed it uh, during renovation because it had a really bad reputation. And so in order to reposition the hotel, we ended up closing it, rehiring staff, doing a design, changing the F&B, which is food and beverage, and then relaunching it as a new boutique hotel in downtown St. Louis. And I have to imagine to repair the reputation, you couldn't just change the name, right? It was all those other things. It was everything else that went with it, and especially for the community. So again, back to who your clients are, the local community knew about that hotel. Right. So we had to go in and make a difference. So we had to really do a lot of pre-sales and marketing to the community and getting them in the door, letting them know what we're doing, who we are, what's important to us at the time. And, um, and it's a, it's a great hotel in downtown St. Louis today. Yeah. Was it a success? Yes. Yeah. It's great. Great location. (laughs) And it's still beautiful. And there's some beautiful old, um, stained glass windows that we actually found the old artist who originally did them in the early 1900s. And he kind of remade them for us and fixed them up. Fantastic. Uh, I want to look forward again here. A 2023 report from Deloitte found that the travel industry is entering a new period of what they called recalibration and repositioning. A couple of big words there. Uh, And we'll link this report in our show notes for anyone who wants to uh, check out the full full edition. Um, What they found is that travelers are demanding more bang for their buck on travel, but the hospitality industry on the other side is still struggling from unprecedented staffing issues. How do we grapple with this? What's, where does it, where does it meet a, a, you know, fair point? Well, if I had a crystal ball, I think I could answer that question relatively smoothly, but I don't. (laughs) So, um, yes, the industry is still um, faced with employment challenging, staffing challenges. And it's interesting. So it's really focused a lot in the back of the house, which we call the heart of the house. Sure. So that would be your housekeeping, your kitchen culinary staff, more Mm -hmm. line cooks, dishwashers. So it's really happened, and you've probably seen this in restaurants you go to. Restaurants aren't open seven days a week anymore. Uh, Some are opened um, five days a week or four days a week. They're not open for all meal periods. Until we as an industry really learn how to change behavior and what we expect from our employees, you don't need to work them 60 hours a week anymore. Mm -hmm. So let's find out how we can be flexible and nimble with these employees. Notoriously, they are underpaid and create a better benefit package for them and really understand what they're going through. So I think it's a it's a cultural shift for sure. Some of the people that have been in the industry a long time to come back and relate to what your true heart of the house employee needs to live and work and get to work and get home in time for their kids. Who knows what it is? But we we have to get better at that. Yeah, I think that goes with the theme of your career, people first. Yes. You know, family business, that sort of thing, right? That is correct. Yeah, you if you have a good culture within your building and it is led and taught and mentored, your rate of success for low turnover is much better. Mm-hmm. 
and our industry has um, a high turnover rate. So you really have to work in that. To, to replace any position in a hotel takes weeks, if not months, depending on the position. So, and it's a high dollar investment. So we as leaders do have to get better at this. Uh, I want to shift the focus here a little bit to your connect connection with Daniels. In 2008, you and your husband James established a scholarship fund for female students pers- pursuing a hospitality degree at Daniels. What motivated you to create that fund? So, well, first of all, I'm so glad we did it. So at the time of our lives, our, our kids are actually just starting at University of Denver. Um, and Jim's father had created a mathematical scholarship, math scholarship at the University of Nebraska Okay, for women. Yep. And I thought, oh, gosh, I should do this at the hotel school. <laughs> so we developed the scholarship. And I like to say, since I was one of those students, I was not an A student at <laughs> Daniels. Um, I was in the middle of the road there because, you know, I like to work. I like to do other things. And I was a balanced student, I believe. So I wanted to create a scholarship that was for B students. You know, they had a 3.0, but that wasn't what was driving it. Mm-hmm. What where did they come from? What were their lives like? What do they strive to be? Hardworking, well-rounded, and get more women into this industry. So at the time, we still didn't have a ton of women in executive positions. And today it's getting better. Yeah. Um, but so that's what we created. And we've met several of our scholarships. What do you call them? Uh, recipients right. um, throughout the years and just fabulous people. And we've stayed in touch with a couple of them. Some have stayed in the industry. Some have not. And, again, that's not totally the purpose of the scholarship. Right. But um, very re- rewarding to be part of that. And I will say over at the hotel school, um, most students there are on some form of scholarship. So there's a lot of alumni that have really been invested in seeing that hotel school succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you hit on something there that I was going to follow up with you. It sounds like uh, you – had an experience that drove that scholarship. What was it like being uh, a woman in a leadership position in the hospitality industry uh, at the time you were doing it? Was that rare? Very. Mm -hmm. So um, I was one of the first general managers in the industry. And then um, to get beyond that, to get into an executive position uh, was extremely rare. I could probably name the other two ladies at the time. (laughs) Um, But most women at the time were in sales. Mm -hmm. Or HR. Mm-hmm. And they really didn't go above that at the time. And I think a lot of women and even the a lot of students I mentored today, they still struggle with how do you have a life, be a wife, have children, and be in this industry? So how do you create a well, you know, oiled machine with your husband and your family to have a good life balance and still do what you're passionate about? And I think that is still exists a little bit today for students to understand that just because our industry is 24-7. Sure. So how do we adapt to that to ensure that ladies who want to be in this industry love it like I did and several of my colleagues but want to stay and do what I'm doing and mentor and coach some of the other ladies to get into this industry? Great. Uh, And speaking of mentorship, you've been a mentor to countless students at Fritz, joining the Daniels Executives and Residence Program in 2017. Uh, For you, what are the most important qualities of a strong mentor? Well, it probably goes back to my mentor, right? 
Um, I think the ability to really, one, listen, listen to what the student is telling you, asking you, seeking advice on, and then what are their passions? What do they want to do? Because it's not always what we think they want to do. <laughs> and the other side that I really enjoy, and I have a wonderful gal right now, and um, really networking her. How do we network you into the industry, into other folks that can mentor you? It just doesn't have to be me, but let's get you with some other mentors here, even in Denver yep. or even on the phone. Mm -hmm. We're blessed in Denver from the hotel side. We have probably 15, 20 different management companies in Denver. And so we are able to really tap into them for expertise and other coaching and mentoring for these students. Great. And on the flip side of the equation, what tips would you give to students who are looking for their own professional mentor? Look for somebody who is aligned with you. What, what are your passions to their passions? And can they give you um, good advice, solid advice, not just um, top, you know, top of the ice cream cone. Let's get down into the cone of it and be really like, how can I really help you, steer you, what do you need that I can be assistance for? And it hasn't always been in the hotel business. I've had students I've mentored that have been out of the hotel business or employees on, on some of our jobs or other hotels. They're like, I need to get out of the industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, let's figure that out. What are our next steps? And then set them up with somebody that can help them. Great. Before we get out of here, I want to hop into a question from one of our students. Hi, I'm Ryan Foreman. I'm a fourth year student studying hospitality management. And my question for you is, how does Nuovo Re utilize new technologies in their hotel developments and operational services? And then how does that technology affect Nuovo Re's impact investing efforts? Thank you. Hi, Ryan. Uh, great question. And so since we manage operations of other brands or companies, we are constantly steering them to focus on kind of back to what we talked about, Nick, guest preferences. Sure. That's one technology. Number two is how deep from an analytical standpoint can we dive into what's happening on that development to ensure we have the right systems in place. From an impact standpoint, we've worked on a ton of initiatives right now to prove out the ROI on impact hospitality. Mm. And so we're working on that. We're working on a whiteboard presentation. Um, so what does it really mean? What is the ROI on that? What does low turnover mean? What does um, fair wages above market mean? Can you really prove this out? The message of impact within a community, do your clients pick up on it? Are we getting business from that message within the community? And we have proven that out. We are. So we will get companies, clients, groups to stay with us at our hotels because of our impact work. Uh, as a guest on the Voices of Experience podcast, we obviously consider you a voice of experience. Uh, so what is one thing that you'd like to share with our listeners that we haven't talked about already? Oh, my gosh. Experience. Um, I think you, you never really can predict the future. So I think you have to remain nimble, flexible. And I always like to say to anybody, even my old colleagues and managers and executives, what does every decade look like? 
So when you're 20, that decade, to when you hit 30, 40, 50, you know, what decade are you going to give back? What decade do you want to grow in? What decade are you going to buy a house, get married, and have kids? So I always talk to people about what decade are you in currently in your life and your career, and what's the next 10 years look like? So that that's probably my biggest advice is um, – Think about where you are and where you want to go and who can influence those decisions for you and help you. Awesome. Well, thank you, Lee. We really appreciate you uh, appearing on the show. Thank you very much. For more on this episode, including a bonus question on Lee's top tips for students to have success in the hotel industry, be sure to check out our show notes. You can find those and more at daniels.du.edu slash VOE dash podcast. The VOE podcast is an extension of Voices of Experience, the signature speaker series at the Daniels College of Business, sponsored by U.S. Bank. Patrick Orr and Chloe Smith are our sound engineers. Alumnus Joshua Metzel wrote our theme. And I'm Nick Greenhouse. Until next time, be sure to subscribe and leave us a rating and review.